Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's Salary View. We are back with uh, Lou Mavs, of course. He's part of the show, as usual now. member, And we're recording this on St. Patty's Day, so That's may right. the good Lord bless you in heaven before the devil knows you're dead, and kiss my Irish ass. Cheers. <laughs> and we are also here with Prophet from the band St. Madness, but you also have a, a new solo album out, uh, Prophet, right? I do, and, and it's St. Patty's Day, and my real name is Patrick. I was named after St. Patrick. And I don't drink anymore, but I made sure to smoke some green today. So <laughs> I got that going for me. And uh, yeah, I do have a new solo record out uh, called Last Days in Paradise. And, you know, I call it a solo album, but really all the current members of St. Madness took part in that album. Okay. Plus three former guitar players of St. Madness took part in the album. And then a few musician friends I have that I have a lot of respect for. And I just basically um, got all these people to do little parts in it, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would say to a person, you can submit up to two songs musically. And so I just kind of pieced all these people together. And uh, it came out really amazing. And it's mostly acoustic. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that. Uh, I wasn't sure because I didn't. Because you have another one out, right? You have a, a solo album out from like a while ago, right? Coming yeah, the, the other one was called The Edge, and I put that one out in 2010. Okay. So it's been 11 years oh, since wow. I did. But I like all kinds of music, and, and heavy metal will always be my favorite. But I also like people like Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash and Willie right. Nelson, like that, and Americana music or country music. So, you know, we do these albums in our side time. So we take our time with them. And we didn't start this album until three years ago. So it took us Uh about three years to complete it. But we did it in our extra time. We didn't take anything away from St. Madness to do it. Mm. Yeah, I remember because last time you were on the show, you were saying that you were getting ready to start a new uh, solo album. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, so I was surprised that you it did take that long because it was just what you just released it what uh, a week or so ago. 
No, just a few days ago. On oh, the just 14th. a few days ago. Okay. All right. Yeah. And it's only released digitally at this time because we're on our own label. Nasty Prick Records is owned by me and Margie, St. Madness manager. And so we everything we've done all these years for 28, almost, yeah, 28 years, uh, we did out of our own pocket. We, we didn't have any label support or anybody step up and hand us a bunch of money or whatever. Everything we've done, St. Madness has 11 albums out, and now Prophet and the Cowboys of Apocalypse has two. Mm. And we did all those since 1993. Wow. How is it running your own uh, your own company? Because uh, I'm I'm in the midst of getting my first album out in a in a long time, and uh, we're going to do it all by ourselves. I'm not going to send it to a record company or anything. So, mm-hmm. how is it doing that all that on your own? You know, for the most part, it's great. Um, the The bad part is, of course, if you get picked up by a bigger label in the past. I I, I can't speak for these times today because everything's changed so much. But back then, like in the early 90s, if you signed a normal kind of deal with a label, they would front you like $300,000, $250,000, $300,000. Out of that money, you would make your album and you would hire a producer. You, The label would help you with a publicist and a publicist's job is to get you press everywhere and especially where you can't get it for yourself. Mm-hmm. So you do get some help with the big labels, but... Um, like you, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to promote all these things myself. And for me, at least being on our own label, we can make the music we want to make. I don't have anybody walking and going, you know, out of the 10 songs, seven of them are great, but those three, we need to change with something else and blah, blah, blah. We can put out the albums we want, but again, it comes out of our pockets and all our albums, we make nice 16 page booklets and, uh, you know, we, we spend the money to uh, get a really good artist and and um, we want to make as professional of a product looking and sounding as Metallica or anybody else without right. the benefit of a big label. So Margie and I have been together for 25, almost 26 years and uh, we scrape and save our money and we don't go out to, to dinners hardly or you know, we sacrifice in order to do this, but mm-hmm. it's, it's good. I'm, I'm very proud of everything we've done. Yeah. Yeah. It shows too. Cause uh, like you said, all the booklets and stuff that you come with your CDs and even the music, the way it's produced and mixed and all that sounds very professional. So we can't really tell the difference between somebody that's spending millions of dollars to have, you know, a recording between yours, you know, it's, which is good about today because the technology, any, anybody can do it, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I call it disrupting the status quo, you know, like you're going against the grain of what you're expected to do or yeah. of what you're limited by when you're dealing with a major label or a major distro, you know, kudos to you on that. Yeah, and I'm not knocking the labels because if Nasty Brick Records suddenly had a lot of money, I would sign artists, you know, mm-hmm. and and I would expect certain things from the artists on my label, you know. And, and I understand why labels are that way. It's just that I'm not going to say we never went after labels, but we didn't do it very much. Like we would send out here, stuff here and there, but we did not pursue labels hard. The, the one label who I sent the most up to is Brian Slagle at Metal Blade Records. <laughs> I sent him like four albums and four times I got really nice rejection letters in the mail and and i really like brian you know t- to me 
uh, Brian is metal because he was like I am now, and he started on his own and he built it up. And I'm friends with the guys in Sacred Reich and with the guys in Flotsam and Jetsam, and uh, those are the two uh, most famous, probably metal bands to come out of Arizona. Besides, like if you're going to talk about Alice Cooper, but he's really rock and roll, not really metal. Yeah. But those two metal bands, and and uh, they're great guys and. Uh, I was hoping to get hooked up with Brian. He was the only one I was really interested in was Metal Blade. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I, guess, <laughs> I guess he didn't want it. So it's all good. Yeah, you're on your own now, so better off anyway. But um, since Lou is new to the show, uh, he's, this is the first time he's ever heard of uh, you or St. Manus or anything. So this is the first thing he's ever heard. Yeah, I have to admit, I am a noob when it comes to the music of Prophet, whether it's uh, Prophet or St. Madness. But I will say this, uh, Wayne brought it to my attention uh, last week after we did our last recording. And he said, uh, check this out. And Wayne was kind enough to uh, send me the tracks, although I did notice that it's it's uh, I was looking for it on iTunes to see if I could buy it. And I see that it's only available on Bandcamp. So right ladies and gentlemen... So, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to purchase this album, I would suggest going to his Bandcamp page because that way you'll directly support uh, Prophet and the Cowboys of Apocalypse. And to me, as I promote on my podcast, you know, that it's best to support the artist directly rather than going through different channels uh, where they'll only make like an eighth of a point of a percent. I don't know the math, but you get the gist of it. But um, I admit, I, I didn't have expectations. I just said, okay, new band, although St. Matt has been around for a long time, so I mean no offense by that. But when I heard it, I said, all right, new band. And I will admit, it, it, it grew on me. At first, I was a little like, hmm. And then the more I listened to it, I said, okay. And it got to a point where uh, I it's the only thing I've been listening to the last couple of days, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's got that really nice mix of like, Acoustic rock meets uh, outlaw country meets Americana. Uh, and the only thing I could say about it is I, after this interview is over, when I get my paycheck tomorrow, I plan on directly purchasing a copy. So Props. it's good stuff, yeah. man. And then I discovered St. Madness after this. I said, let me hear his other stuff. And I heard St. Madness. I was like, wow, okay, cool. All right. So that's what's up. So Props. yeah, man, I... I only apologize that it took me this long to get to know who you were. Well, you know, uh, I'm just happy you like the music, you know, because uh, the way I look at it is the music is going to be here when I'm dead and gone. And it doesn't matter whether I was on a big label or a little label or other than, of course, you know, a big label will put out hundreds of thousands of copies of things. But uh, to me, the art is most important. And, I'm very, very proud of what we've done. And no, it's not perfect. I can listen to any one of our records and find little things here and there. I could have sang better or whatever. But I am really proud of everything we've done. We we take the time. And the acoustic album, the the best way to to describe it is uh, we're a theatrical shock metal band in St. Madness, and we were face paint. And Prophet was St. Madness is more of uh, a character and the prophet and the cowboys of apocalypse the lyrics i write for that album is more from my heart and soul so people who listen to those albums 
they're really getting to know me personally uh, much more. Whereas St. Madness is a theatrical show. It still has some uh, lyrics in there that are true to my heart and my life, but pretty much all the acoustic stuff is like I'm putting my soul out there on the line, you know? Mm. And um, there's a lot of pain on the new album. That's why it's called Last Days of Paradise. Mm. I wrote the song when I had to sell my parents' house uh, that they had lived in since 1987. And my stepdad died in 2000. And then my mom passed away in 2008 and we sold their house in 2009. Mm. And I remember bringing my eldest son there when he was just born and all the memories in that home. And it, it really broke my heart to have to sell their home, but I had to. Um, the bank wouldn't let us pick up the mortgage, so I had to sell it. So I wrote Last Days in Paradise. And then the song Kate is about my sister who passed away from cancer in March of 2020. And uh, the last song, In Memory of Scotty, is the very first song I ever wrote and recorded in my life. No. We recorded it back in 1981, so it's 40 years old. And I was an 18-year-old kid, and it was the, the guy playing piano and singing backup was 17. And he reminded me of Elton John, and we wrote this song. And I've just carried it with me all these years, and I thought when we were putting out this album, I thought, you know, and Mamir Scotty, the music kind of fits with this album. Plus, it's its 40th anniversary since we did it. And... Uh, I just included it as pretty much a bonus track. Yeah, yeah, that, that one's real- pretty cool. Uh, I, I really like that that uh, that bonus track. It's it's pretty good, and and also too, your voice your voice is really good on that song. You do a lot of different things too back then too. Obviously, because you you were younger back then, but yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, your voice it's a little different. You, I can still hear you in it, but you do a lot of uh, higher things in it. In that, oh uh, yeah, it really yeah, cool. and uh, that song was written for my friend that passed away. Okay. So like I said, there's a there's a lot of pain on the album, but there's a lot yeah, of joy too. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just being real on it, you know. Yeah. No, no acting, no nothing. I was going to say, with uh, in memory of Scotty, you definitely channeled your inner Jen Steinman. I mean, everything about it just sounds, uh, you know. I wouldn't say polished at all. I mean, it's raw, it's heartfelt, it's honest, and it's beautiful. I mean, the the lyrics, the vocal melodies, the piano. I mean, mm-hmm. dang, man. Wow. <laughs> I had never wrote a song in my life, but this guy who died was 65 years old. It's really odd because um, when my mother and I originally met him in a town called Solvang, California, and back then we lived in Santa Ynez, on the same road that Ronald Reagan lived in, when, when everybody said Ronald Reagan was at the Santa Barbara Ranch, it was never Santa Barbara, it was Santa Ynez. He was up in the mountains. And we were in the valley on the same refugio road. If you took it from our house and went up in the mountain, you'd go right to his his uh, ranch. But anyway, we had just moved there, and we we met this man who was sixty five, and he was playing a concertina, which is a, a little accordion. Mm-hmm. And he was singing. He would walk up to people and start playing a song. And when he was done, they'd look at him and they go, "Oh my God, that's the song they played at our wedding," you know. And he'd just smile. And he could sing in four languages. Um, he was he was born in Scotland, but raised in Germany. And before he had moved to Solvang, he was a butcher in Phoenix, Arizona for 25 years, right? And he was on his way to San Francisco when he broke down in Solvang, which is a little Danish town 
in California, about 40 miles north of Santa Barbara. It's beautiful. If you ever get a chance, go visit Solvang, California. You'll love it. And, of course, because he was European, he fit right in there. Well, he became quick friends with my whole family. And then on Christmas Day in 1980, he had a massive heart attack and, and passed away. Mm. So it, last time I saw him, he played the song Silver Bells for me, and he just smiled, and I never saw him again. And it hit me so hard that I wrote lyrics, because I was just a kid. I, I hadn't had any uh, people other than maybe my grandparents die or someone, so I, I hadn't really gone through a lot of death. And he really touched me. Well, oddly enough, all these years later, right, I end up moving to Arizona, where he was a butcher for 25 years. Oh, wow. So the whole thing came full circle. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I've got to put it on the record. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a question, actually. When it came time to writing that, since you mentioned that it was your first song, and it's the oldest recording that has your lyrics and your vocals to tape, um, how intimidated were you? to uh, write it in the first place or did it feel like it was something that came naturally you know it, the words just came natural and back then my parents owned a fast food restaurant in Buellton, california called stars drive-in oh wasn't and, it in and out <laughs> and, no it wasn't in and out but it was better it was better food and we were on the there, avenue okay. of flight there's a big uh, famous anderson split pea soup uh building there across the street my friend, uh, uh, Wendy, came to the restaurant one day and she said, because I had told her I wrote these lyrics, and she said, well, I have a friend, Kevin, you know, and he's great on piano. He writes songs. And I said, well, I'd like to meet him. Well, the first time I met Kevin, I showed him my lyrics, and he goes, you know, I have a piece of music I was working on, and I have no lyrics or nothing. See if, if we can do anything with that. And immediately when he played it, my lyrics fit perfect. Like I had to, I think I fixed like, originally I said, um, my friend has passed away a heart attack on Christmas day. And he said, you know, that, that line there is kind of too harsh. And I said, okay, I changed it to my friend passed away, uh, the price for life we all have to pay. And that was the only thing I had to change in the whole song. It fit like it was made for it. And like I said, he was 17 years old and I was 18. And this song just came out. And right after we recorded it, we got it on the radio in Santa Barbara, Solvang, Sanina, Santa Maria, Lompoc. Um, it just, it was, it's got a magical feeling to it, that song. And I think it's mostly Kevin's piano playing, but um, it just fell together. I don't know. I, I had no stress over it whatsoever. Mm. Yeah, I'm surprised you kept that thing that long. I mean, how did it not get lost? <laughs> You know, I just carried it with me. I, I save everything. Like, all the history of St. Madness, I have literally everything. I wow. saved everything. I have tons and tons of videos from shows and photographs and, you know, uh, practices where we recorded ourselves writing songs. And hmm. I saved every bit of it. So when I die someday, my, my kids are going to have a big pile of stuff to have to throw out somewhere. But <laughs> I, think I might just ask, go in with you. <laughs> I meant to ask you, was it uh, originally on uh, from one inch tape? Did you have to bake the tape to get the uh, track out? Or did you have it uh, already digitally bumped that uh, no. you were able to uh, put it on uh, on the record? No, uh, it, originally 
we didn't even uh, record it other than sitting a little cassette deck down with a microphone and recording this. Once we knew the song, we went to a really nice recording studio. It was called Spectrum Studios in Santa Barbara. And I, I forget, we paid like 150 bucks or something to record it because it's only piano vocal. There's nothing else on there. Um, so I carried that, that uh, I think it's two inch or one inch tape master with me all these years. And then like 10 or 15 years ago when we were in the studio with Larry Elia, I think it was Larry, I had him bump it into digital because the tape was getting old and just old. It was uh, separating, you know? So he fixed it and recorded it, you know, digitally. And so now I have it, you know, but um, that's why it's not as loud as some of the other songs and stuff, because it's old, you know, it's 40 years old. Yeah. But yeah, going back to the album, I mean, it's, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. I didn't, didn't know what to expect. I didn't know it was going to be like all acoustic, except that one song. Um, what was the song? Uh, PC Crap. Yeah. That's, that's, that's more towards your St. Madness type uh, stuff. But uh, yeah, most of it's all acoustic and uh, it's, it's really cool. I mean, I like I like a lot of this, most of the songs, really. Uh, the hard one for me to listen to is Kate. How hard was it for you to write that song? So, when we, when my sister told me that she had stage four lung cancer, um, I called Sid and we got together and immediately wrote the song. Hmm. And I, I uh, asked him if we could go to his house because he has a little Pro Tools set up. So right away we went to his house and recorded it. And I'm, I mean, I don't really have trouble admitting this, but uh, I was crying when I recorded yeah, those vocals. Yeah. And um, when we went into this, the studio to, you know, make it for real, um, both Sid and I agreed that the original vocal has the emotion on it. Right. So. We stripped the uh, the vocal off of the recording we made at Sid's, and we used that in the album. We put mm -hmm. it in there, and my sister did get to hear the song. It was a rough mix; it wasn't the final mix and mastered version, but uh, it made her cry because she thought it was so beautiful. And the other thing is, my sister and I, unfortunately, for our whole lives, we we butted heads all the time, and and we just didn't have much in common. I went into heavy metal and partying and drugs and whatnot. And she liked to party, but she liked a whole different style, you know, of life and music. And she was seven years older than me. Mm -hmm. So we, we've always had a lot of love for each other, but unfortunately um, we butted heads a lot. And so I wrote that song to, to say thank you to her because everything that I mentioned in there is true, right. you know, I had spinal meningitis in 1984, and I was in a semi-coma, and I woke up in the hospital. And she was sitting right next to my bed smiling at me. And uh, it, it just helped give me strength to get better. And when I was a crystal meth and cocaine addict and a drunk, my sister introduced me to Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm. And, I mean, she, she did things that helped save my life, you know. We may not have got along all the time, but. She she really cared about me and, and saved me. And I wanted to write something really special for her. You know, I thought she deserved it. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say thank you for that because it hit home with me. 
Um, as Wayne knows, I, I lost my brother uh, five years ago to a heart attack. Um, you know, him and I definitely, uh, we were alike in a lot of ways. We were different in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I'm still, I still miss him every day. He's the reason why I became a musician in the first place. So he left a huge positive impact in my life. And, you know, our, him and I, our common band was always Rush. So whenever I listen to Rush, I always think of him. But when I heard this song for the first time, um, I admit, I, I got choked up. And it's, it's, it's very rare when an artist gets me to choke up. And it takes a very special artist to do that. So I just wanted to say thank you for writing that song because, you know, as someone who's, you know, been through it, um, it means a lot to me that another artist would even channel that kind of emotion and release something as real as that as real as that. Thank you for that. You know, I'm really glad you like it. And when I was a little kid, my sister, there's a part in there I said, hey, do you remember the Kathy and Patrick show? And when I was like five years old, again, she was seven years older than me, so she was my big sister. She said, hey, we're going to do the Kathy and Patrick show, and we put on little shows for our parents and stuff. And so I said, you know, you're the one who started me in show business because I got the bite back then, you know, I got the itch to like performing, you know, mm -hmm. and there's so many little things that she did. My sister always played acoustic guitar. She loved ovation guitars and, and she loved this kind of music that I'm making now. She didn't like the heavy metal, so she couldn't relate to it. And she just didn't get it. She thought too, at one time I was like serving Satan and all this. And, <laughs> and uh, I'm like, it's just entertainment, man. You know, you know, if you walk up to Robert England in the grocery store and you're not going to hold it against him, I hope not, that he played Freddy Krueger because it's entertainment, you know, and and people don't understand that guys and bands are also in show business. It's entertainment. Right. We're not going to go out and kill people or drink blood or not real blood. I used to drink <laughs> a tv shit on stage you know but right. it's all about entertainment that's all it is yeah yeah and you definitely do that and and yeah like like lou said i mean it is a it, it's not a hard song to listen to because it's bad it's just it's you know what the song is about and just bringing back memories even you know from my past you know relatives that have passed away and stuff so it's a it's a great song and i'm glad you were able to get that out and i'm glad she got to hear you know the beginnings of it so that's cool um it still brings tears to my eyes yeah. sometimes. And again, she's only been gone for a year. Right. So, you know, I mean, it takes time to, I don't think you ever get over losing uh -huh. someone close to you. It's just that you get to where you can stand on your own two feet a little better as time goes on. Yeah. And I've lost so many people in my family in the last 10 years. Wow. And um, right before in December of 2020, my AA sponsor, John Arthur Carter, who I had since 1990, he succumbed and passed away to COVID-19. Right. And John, even though he was in Missouri, I could call him anytime and we would just talk. And he would always say the right thing to help make me feel better. And he never had any ego about it. He never told me what to do. But he was there for me, and, and he helped get me sober, and he saved my life along with my sister. She gave me a place to stay in Missouri when I needed to go back there to go to treatment. Mm. So it's because of her and John that I got clean and sober. And now I'm having to 
walk completely on my own, if you will, because I can't <laughs> talk to either one of them. I look at the sky and talk to them, you know, and I hope they yeah. hear me. I, <laughs> it's just been very difficult. I've, I've had at least 10 family members, and I've had three dogs, uh, a parrot, all my sponsor, and like four friends all die, like in oh, the wow. last 10 years. Every time I turn around, someone's dying. And that's why when my little parrot got sick, mm -hmm. um, I, he's 26 years old, you know? Right. And it's just breaking my heart, you know? So yesterday I rushed him to the vet, you know? And um, and I know, you know, Patagonians only live to like 30 and he's already 26. Mm -hmm. But he's this, this little bird and he loves me more than any human being will ever love me. And... <laughs> So I'll do anything for that bird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> two things. I'm going to go give my dog a big kiss on the face when this interview is over. And two, I am so sorry I'm drinking a pint of Guinness while we're having this interview. I will no, refrain. <laughs> I'm not anti-alcohol. No. Look, as an entertainer, right, I'm a, I'm a lead vocalist. My job is to sell alcohol. Yeah. If people don't buy alcohol, I have nowhere to play or perform. Yeah. I'm now I don't feel so bad. No, no, please, please don't. Because the <laughs> difference between me and other people is I'm too immature for alcohol. When when I would drink, I would only want to get fucked up. That's all I cared about. I wanted to be wasted. It wasn't about, oh, gee, this beer tastes lovely. It wasn't, it was about get fucked up, right? When I was doing meth or cocaine, it was about get wasted. And in the beginning, I was a fun guy that people would invite to parties. And at the end there, nobody wanted me at their parties. My family didn't want to come me. I was 129 pounds when I got clean. I'm like 215 right now. Huh? So all my clothes looked like they were hanging on a hanger. I was huh? literally dying. So I'm I'm all good with alcohol, man. If if you can if you can drink alcohol and conduct yourself as a grown-up and a man. Great, but I can't do that. I'm immature. I drink. I go crazy, and that, people hate me. I respect that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I mean I, that, this has nothing to do with music right now, but that's how I am when it comes to. Well, I have a sweet tooth, so I can't control myself around candy. So <laughs> I, I, I yell, I yell at my wife when she brings home cookie dough. I'm like, we are not making cookies. When's it Christmas? Right. <laughs> right. I'm the same way. I got to watch it, man. I love sweets, you know. Mm. I love my cigars. I, ah. I smoke I smoke like four of these a day. Every day. Smoke? This is called a tobacco special. It's made by Drew Estate. Very cool. It's coffee infused. All right. So they get the tobacco, they pile it in a room, and then they get coffee extract and turn it into a mist. And they shoot the mist in the air, and the tobacco soaks it up, and then they roll cigars out of it. I uh, just get that love, in New York. Yeah, I just love them. But you know, I smoke like four a day, and um, you know, and I love to smoke pot, and and I only smoke probably three times a day, which when I say smoke, a few hits, whatever. But um, I just uh, I've learned that I have to take responsibility for myself. I can't point, you know, at someone else and say it's their fault if things go bad. I've got to keep my own side of the street clean. I've got to look in the mirror and respect the man I see in the mirror. 
And the only way to do that is by taking responsibility, you know. So even though I still love to party, I love to get high. And, but, you know, I'm, I just I'm careful how I do it. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to be driving around on a, a road and risking other people's lives like I was when I was drinking. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'd wake up the next day and run out to my driveway hoping my car was there. And sometimes it was and sometimes it wasn't. And if it isn't there, then you start the phone calls. Hey, where'd I leave my car? You know, and um, yeah. so I'm just I'm more careful now. You know, I'm, I'm more responsible. And uh, I, my life is 150 times better than it was in the 80s as far as having peace in my heart. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I had a lot of parties in the 80s and I'm not telling you I didn't have fun. Because I, <laughs> there's no shame here. Don't worry. But that's <laughs> and girls, girls were a drug like any other, you know. And and when I was young, it was like uh, notches on the belt. Because before I started singing in high school, I uh, was a sports guy. I wanted to be a professional soccer player. Oh, really? But one day I started singing, and they put me in the Christmas choir uh, at school doing Blue Christmas by Elvis as a duet with one of the choir girls. And the place went crazy. And that night, I was 16. That night, I signed my first autographs and noticed that ladies were paying attention to me. And (laughs) the more I sang, the more ladies I met. And I realized, you know, nine years of playing soccer never got me laid. And sports never got me laid, really, you know. But all you got to do is sing. And and I'm not an overly attractive guy, but they didn't care. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is great. You know, so I went for the gusto with the girls and everything in the 80s, man. People who put the 80s down, I say, you weren't there or you did it wrong. Because when <laughs> I, there, I had a great time. <laughs> I just think it's funny. Glenn Hughes says he does not remember the 80s. So that's the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> he did it right. <laughs> so, but you can't do that forever. Like you can party like a crazy man. But, you know, they've made a, a very strong connection now with cocaine and speed use and people getting Parkinson's. Notice mm-hmm. why. Glenn Tipton has Parkinson's and why Ozzy's shaking and people better take a look at that. You know, I I don't know if Muhammad Ali ever did cocaine and he's one of my heroes and favorite boxers. But when he was young, remember how fast he talked and how it makes you wonder, you know, it makes me wonder because he ended up at the end shaking like that, you know, because you keep taxing your body with all these speeds. And it's just an organ, man. You know, eventually your body's going to break down and say, I can't take this anymore. And uh, uh, Michael J. Fox admitted I was gonna say. that when he was on TV, he was a coke, coke fiend, did a lot of coke. Hmm. Now, 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 look at the now my grandmother had Parkinson's. Did she do coke? I don't know, Wayne. Did she? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> I don't know. Now I'm but curious. Again, you know, Lemmy was a professed <laughs> speed addict. And it was cancer that took him out, not Parkinson's. He never had a, he he, he never a Parkinson's was never one of his ailments. It was it was cancer that uh, hit him. He he did. Uh, he was a methamphetamine guy and Jack and Coke. That, that's and what, yeah. I, until he died, 
And we saw him like a year, year and a half before he died. He played a casino here with Motorhead. And I said to Margie and my son, Josh, you know, he looks like he can barely stand up. Like he looked like he barely made it through the show, you know. Yeah. And I've seen Motorhead a number of times, you know, and that was not the Lemmy of old. He was Lemmy dying, you know. Um, I'm really glad we we went and saw him, though. You know, I love I love Motorhead and I love Lemmy. And um, we saw Prince uh, about a year before he died. And nobody knew he was going to drop dead. Look at all the rock stars that have died in the last few years. I mean, and, I, I guess and Keith Richards up. is still alive. Yeah. It's unfair, man. It's unfair. <laughs> and you know what? There's other ones mentioned there. And of course, everybody says Ozzy, right? Mm-hmm. Another one. How could Ozzy still be alive? What about Neil Young? What about Iggy Pop? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Iggy Pop is a crazy man. And he's still going. I mean, I don't know how these guys do it. I was dying, literally. I would not have been able to hold up to those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew my time was coming. And that's mm-hmm. why I got away. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Not for me. Nor me. Yeah, not definitely you not. You know me. what? After a while, the drugs and the partying end up to be in the most important thing in your life. And how sad is that? You know, yeah. I have two sons. I have I have fans in my band. You know, a lot of bands uh, they get so wasted on drug after a while they don't care about fans or nothing. All they care about is getting wasted. You know, right. and what a sad way to to have your life be. If this is truly the only chance you get at human existence, what a sad and horrible way to to leave it, you know. Yeah. I want something more. Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, because then you wouldn't have your sons and, you know, you wouldn't be here right now making the new album. You know, you wouldn't be enjoying any of this stuff, so. But back right. to the new album. A lot of really cool songs. Uh, Ghost in a Trail. I love the uh, your storytelling voice. You're narrating in the, in, throughout the song. Really cool. You- you have a nice vibrato to your singing you voice, by the way, and uh, that, that that got me when I first started it. I was like, "Dang, that is not any modification they do in auto tune. That is real shit right there." So yeah, I I, I learned to sing by listening to Elvis Presley and Tom Jones records when I was a teenager. <laughs> and if you think of Tom Jones, he had that really powerful voice, you know, oh, and El- later voice, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I I didn't know how to sing, so I would just, again, I was a sports guy, so I'd go home after school and I'd put on Elvis records. What what really happened is when Elvis died in August of 77, um, I was out at a friend's house, we were in the pool, and his mom came out and she said, guess who died today? And I said, who? And she said, Elvis Presley. And I said, oh, who cared about him anyway? Because he was my parents' generation. I I, I knew and liked a few of his songs, but... I, w- I wasn't a big fan or anything. So I'm like, who cares about him? That night, I was watching the chaos on all the news channels. And then every magazine that came out had him on it, every newspaper, every. And I thought, this guy was way more important than I thought. And I, I kind of felt bad for what I said. Mm. So I started reading everything I could read and I started buying every record I could get of his. And that's how I learned to sing. I started singing his records in my bedroom. And when people heard me outside singing, they're like, you sound like Elvis. So before I knew it, people didn't call me Pat anymore at high school. I went to Altaloma High School in California. Um, they called me Elvis. So if they see me, they'd be like, hey, Elvis, what's up? 
And uh, it was fun for a while, but after a while, I thought, you know, if I want to stay in music, I got to have my own identity mm. and my own songs. But that's where the vibrato truly came from. Yeah. Is that when Prophet started, or how? when did that start? Well, no, that started, I was 16 years old, and I was doing Elvis imitations mm. in my high school and other high schools and other schools. Mm. And again, like I said, instantly I had girlfriends, and mm. it was great. You know, um, <laughs> can't go wrong with that. I just, you know, at, at 15, I was old enough to know, hey, when someone tells you someone dies, don't say, hey, who cares? Or, you know, as a human being, yeah. you're still a person, you matter. Right. And I had this guilt, and it made me learn about his music. And because of that, I ended up having a life in music. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. I've never been to Graceland. I would. That's like my bucket list before I die. I want to go step foot on that man's property. Mm. Oh, I thought you were saying something. Yeah, Yeah, I was. My in-laws are actually going to uh, Memphis for their uh, wedding anniversary on Memorial Day uh, week. Mm. And uh, that's one of the stops that they plan on hitting. Maybe uh, if I can get, if I could ask them. Should I pack my stuff now? Um, what time? <laughs> no, I was going to say I'll see. I'll ask them if they could uh, pick up a souvenir and I'll, and I'll have it shipped to you. Oh, that'd be awesome. Cool. <laughs> I just want to see his house once and see that the thing is when you're on your own label, like I said, we spend at least six thousand dollars per album to make them. Okay, so and that comes from me and Marge, and so I don't have a lot of money to take tons of trips and all that because we're always making a new album. Nice. We're always doing something. So um, I don't get to do a lot of things that I would like to do. Um, but uh, I think I'll still make it to his house before I leave this world. <laughs> I, have to. I have to. It's got to be done. Yeah. I have yeah. to stand in his grave and say thank you not only for your music but for what you did for me. Yeah. You know? It's important to have those kind of goals. I'm glad I, ha- I I actually made one goal. I survived going to the bathroom at CBGB. So if I can do that, you can go to, you should go to Graceland. Uh, and I'm going to the bathroom right now. <laughs> you said you weren't, you liar. I'm not I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm just sitting in here because the great acoustics. You're a cheeky man, Prophet. I like you. Very nice. And actually, that's where... That's where Elvis died to it, right? In, yeah, in he died on the throne. <laughs> now, now, wait a minute. Now, it's a rumor that he died on the throne yeah. in the bathroom, no, eating no, a ham sandwich. True. <laughs> no, it's not a rumor. He really did die on the toilet. With he a really ham sandwich? No, he was he was uh, he was a, a a crazy guy about reading. He loved to read books, and he had a Bible there and some other book, and. Um, he, Ginger Alden went to bed and he said, you know, I'm going to go in the bathroom for a while. And, uh, cause he would read, he always read. And the next day she woke up and he was dead on the floor. He fell off the toilet. They even said that he basically had his pants still around his ankles. Like he mm-hmm. fell off, died. So not away for a man to go. No, Elvis, no. Okay, so Elvis, right, uh, all through the 60s, why he was making, he made 30 movies in the 60s. That's three a year. Mm. Uh, he was a speed freak back then, and that's why he was so skinny and looked good. He was a speed freak. And in the 70s, 
he had laid off the speed and started taking other things. And Elvis was a guy who believed as long as the doctor prescribed it, it's not drugs, it's medicine, and it's okay. Even if I have 10 doctors prescribing me at the same time, it's still fine. <laughs> um, so when you look at him when he died, you know, he got big and stuff. And what's really funny is if you go back and watch Elvis's last concert, now, mind you, when that show was on TV, everybody talked about how huge and fat he was. Mm. If you watch that concert today, he's a normal guy walking down the street in his 40s. Mm. He's not huge. But because he got away from the speed and stuff and he loved Southern cooking and he was in his early 40s, like anybody, he started packing on the pounds. And, you know, when I look at him, there's one thing I always wonder because um, I've had breathing problems throughout my life and doctors like to prescribe something called prednisone. Mm -hmm. And if you take prednisone, it'll make you blow up. It's it's the drug that they say gives you moon face, like a big moon, mm -hmm. and it gives you, it retains water and makes you look fat. And he has that same kind of look that I had when I was on prednisone. And I just kind of wonder, you know, if, if along with his medicine, if he wasn't taking things like prednisone and all, and it just took his heart out. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine it would. But like you said, yeah, I remember the pictures of his face being a lot fatter too. So it's very possible. Yeah. Um, and he's a regular guy walking down the street now. You know, back then, hey, what people, you know? <laughs> now, right now, if you're big, they they don't tell you to do something good for yourself. They just go, oh, it's not your fault. There's yeah. the new commercial <laughs> on TV, Sonabello, right? Do you have diet resistant fat cells? That's what they tell people. Go oh talk God. to anybody in Ethiopia and tell them that they have diet resistant fat cells. Right. When people starve and they they don't eat a lot, mm. they lose weight. Right. It goes away. You know, look, we can't get better unless we go. You know what? I'm eating too much. I'm doing too much drugs. I'm drinking too much. I'm affecting other people, and I'm making excuses for everything I do that I should be taking responsibility for. Now the the doctors are telling you, "Oh, it's not your fault." Well, put the fork down. I, I hate to say it. I know it sucks because I love to eat too. But I'm overweight. Mm. I'm probably 20 pounds overweight. You know, yeah. but I, it isn't there because I have diet resistant fat cells. <laughs> it's because I love to eat. Well, Wayne knows that I've been through my own issues with health. I, the, um, at, by the end of August, I was about 300 pounds total, um, type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure. And thankfully, I had a doctor that said, you have to fix this. Yeah. And, and you know, I kept thinking about my daughter. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old two, year, two and a half year old daughter who I want to raise right and wanted to think of food as a necessity, not as a luxury, so not to, like, you know, indulge in bad foods. And I, I you know, put that responsibility on myself. So, you know, I lost 40 pounds in a couple of months. I started working out, just eating better. Reverse the type 2 diabetes, reverse the high blood pressure. So now I'm about 260, and I'm happy, I'm healthy. Yeah. I mean, I could be healthier, but I'm healthier than I was in, in, uh, in October. And, and you're right. It's, 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 it's funny how, like, you know, at, 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 you know you're, you're talking about Elvis in 1977, and people said that he looked, all right, he looked fat. 
And, you know, looking at him now, you can see that he wasn't and not they're making excuses for it. Come on. It's ridiculous. No. And you know what? Elvis was 250 pounds and they were talking about how huge he was. And back then, maybe he was. But if he were here today at that size, most people walking down, most guys in their 40s or above have a belly, you know, it's it's just they call it dad bod now. (laughs) And all so all I'm basically saying is we can't if people would have approached me and my meth addiction with, you know, it's not your fault. And oh, you poor thing. And that's not how I got off it. I had to have people stand and say, look, you're being a fucking child. You're just killing yourself and you don't care if you kill your parents in the process of because they have to watch you killing yourself or your family or your kids or your you have to be the one to look in the mirror and say, look, enough's enough. You know, the only way we get better is honesty. Right. You can't achieve wisdom unless you have humility. Humility means that we're teachable when you don't have humility. You don't listen to nobody. Right. When you have a little bit of humility, people can help you if because you listen, and and that leads you to wisdom. But wisdom comes with responsibility, you know. You ever notice how whenever you watch any of these shows and they have the real wise person, the real wise person doesn't talk too much. Mm. They they learn to hold their tongue, right. you know. Yeah. The world doesn't have to hear everything I have to say, yeah. and. And you can see I'm clearly not one of those because I talk a lot, you know, but, but I learned a lot. And and I, March 30th, I will have 31 years off of alcohol, meth, and cocaine. And I still smoke pot and cigars, but that's it. Congratulations, well, though. Congratulations. That's a big accomplishment. And I played in, in venues that sell alcohol the entire time. And people say to me, does that ever make you want to have a beer? And I'm like, no. If anything... It reaffirms why I can't because I love seeing people partying and having fun. I wish I could have been them, but I'm a dick. And when I drink, I'm a dick. Mm-hmm. And people don't want to party with me anymore. So yeah. I do them a favor and me a favor. I just smoke pot and I'm not a dick. <laughs> it works for everybody. Hear that, kids? Smoke pot, you won't be a dick. Very nice. <laughs> There's a commercial in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Wayne, make this a public service announcement for the show. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Get back to your album. Uh, my two favorite songs on here The Beauty of You and In. in uh, no, I, I wrote this wrong. I Believe in You. I think yeah. probably your, my, your, your best vocal performance, I, get, I think, on this whole album. And what happened oh. to your audio? What happened to your audio? It sounds like you dropped us in the toilet. No, no, I'm right here. I was, I was lighting my spirit. No, your audio completely uh, changed. <laughs> oh, did it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, am I okay now? No. No. Blow, blow oh. into it. Yeah, blow into the phone. Uh, hello there. Move the I phone. <laughs> what? Move it. Like, I don't know. Pick it up and put it back down or something. I don't know. Is that better? No. What the hell happened? Let me check my volume here. Is that like, better? No. Sounds like it's better. Is that better? No. Hey, you know what? Hang up. I'll call you right back. Okay. We can edit this out. It's called Looking for City. 
Looking for a city built above Looking for a city Where I'll never die Where the saint in millions Never say goodbye Do you not know how to hang up? <laughs> the red button <laughs> <laughs> No, we're supposed to see him. Uh, put the um, selfie. Now what you do? <laughs> now I see all black. Oh, there hey. we go. Okay, no, prophet, prophet is in black. black. <laughs> yeah. Now, okay. So you had asked me about those two songs, right? Yeah. Uh, the beauty of you, I wrote for Margie, and um, like I said, she's managed Saint Madness since 1995, and uh, she's my soulmate, pretty much. And uh, so I wanted to write something really nice and pretty for her. Mm -hmm. And Sid and I came up with that. Sid's the lead guitarist to Saint Madness, and and he, him, him and I wrote the majority of the songs on the new record. And then the song, I Believe in You, I wrote for my stepson, Tom, who is Margie's son. And and uh, he had struggles growing up and stuff. And that song was just my way to try to inspire him and to say, look, you know, even if you think the world doesn't believe in you, at times I believe in you. Mm. Now, did you have like a real orchestra? Because there's orchestra stuff in there. Is that a real one or is that like keyboards or computerized? Or No, we had a guy... Uh, Named Dave Cornwall did some of the orchestration for the album, and so did uh, uh, Brandon Mollis uh, did some of his orchestration. In fact, on the song "I Believe in You," that was written and recorded all the music by the former lead guitar player of Saint Madness, who was on the um, Vampires in the Church and Saint Tannic albums uh, oh. like ten years ago, and he did all the instrumentation on it. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like how that uh, I believe in you really builds up, and you got the orchestra in there, really cool. And then the other, the beauty of you, sort of has like a, a '90s type ballad feel to it, I think. Yeah, it does. And I, you know, again, I just wanted to write something special for March. Yeah. You know? And it came out great. I love it. Yeah, I like it too. And actually, we, me and Lou were just talking, and he, I stole his two favorite songs as well. Well, uh, definitely one of them. Uh, I Believe in You is my second favorite song on the album. My favorite, it has to be Prophet in Black. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that one, too. Yeah. But uh, Ghost on the Trail, uh, my notes for it, I said, a cool, spooky, spoken verse track. I liked it. Definitely a wordsmith, Prophet. Definitely Johnny yeah. Cash influenced. I definitely hear inspiration from uh, Ghost Riders in the Sky on that. I love Johnny Cash. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I figure, hey, you know, the man in black's gone, so now we have Prophet in black. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. I like it. Yeah, it's very cool. And um, the artwork to, for the album, too. I mean, you, I was looking for artwork, and you uh, showed me to your guy. But um, was that your idea, to have that artwork, or he'd come up with that? Um, no, he came up with it. I think it, he does a great job, yeah. you know. Eric McFarland. Yeah, it def definitely fits with the style of the music, too. It, it really works very well. Yeah. No, I think 
and he's been doing our our album art since 2003. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh shit! What? What happened? What happened? What happened? Looking for a city where we'll never die, where the city millions never say goodbye. Show's back on. You're back. Finally, you're back. Got your phone fixed. And it sounds good, right? You can sound yes. good. You don't sound like a robot, and you didn't drop us in the toilet yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of embarrassed, Wayne, because what, what have I been on and off like three times now in this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all right. I had worse when um, Michael Denner from Merciful Fate came on. Uh, he dropped in and out like maybe five or six times. Yeah, <laughs> so that's all right. <laughs> yeah, and I liked your stuff with Martin Popoff. And and oh, yeah. uh, cool guy. Yeah, yeah, he was pretty cool. We'll do more stuff with him too. I, I there's so many shows. I can only do so much. Right. No, and and you don't want to overdo it, you know. Yeah. And I try to I try to cram all the shows on one day on like Wednesday. We try to record everything on Wednesday nights, and sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. Yeah. Lou knows, right? Sometimes we're up really late doing this stuff, so. Oh, yeah. Well, we actually just did a Screams from the Grave episode on Kiss Hotter Than Hell. It was nice. supposed to only be like a half-hour show. It ended up going into two hours, and that's when we realized don't <laughs> ever put more than three people in a room to talk about Kiss because they will talk over each other, and the okay. conversation will go on longer than it has to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I had no okay. control over that. Once I first got the Kiss Alive album in my hands, and I was... 13 for anyway 75 or 6 uh i was i was a kid i was just blown away i was in a music class at school and the teacher sat us down one day and said today we're going to talk about this new band that's out and they, they had put out three albums previous but none of them really sold so mm. nobody heard of them and my teacher pulls out kiss alive and he goes through the liner notes and reads everything to us and and i was just a huge kiss fan instantly and wow. I still am to this day. Yeah. You know, cool. uh, greatest show on earth. You yeah. Know? And they learned from Alice Cooper, who's from here. You know, right. Right. I, I, I met all the guys in Kiss. See, now we're going to have a two hour conversation on Kiss. <laughs> I met all the guys in Thanks, Lou. Right. <laughs> and, and, and Eric Singer. Dear I God, read all heaven, what books. have I done? And, uh, and uh, what do you think about today's so, Kiss? Huh? What do you think about okay. today's kiss? Yeah. I'm totally good with it. Because yeah. yeah, because purists will say, you know, if it's not Ace and Peter, but you have to understand those two guys screwed that whole band up. Now understand, Wayne, if, if suddenly you're building your business and it becomes like you're the new, you know, Howard Stern, everybody's watching Wayne, right? Yeah. And then you have guys that are your partners who don't give a shit about all your hard work and they start screwing it up for you. So, you know, on one hand I go, yeah, that's not really ace on stage, but Tommy Thayer does everything he can do to show true love and respect to aces playing Mm -hmm. and kiss wanted to continue. And the two guys that founded it with them were often left, you know, field somewhere. And and then you could say, well, just change your name and all that. Well, why should they have to change their name? Mm-hmm. You know, they did all the work. They put in all the time. 
And so when Ace and Peter came back for the reunion tour, they were both hired as hired guns. They, they did not come back as full members. And Gene and Paul did get them to sign a piece of paper because they don't read their contracts where they signed their makeup away, which gave Gene and Paul the right to put Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer in the Ace and Peter makeup. All I'm saying is when I see them in concert with Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer, they sound better to me because they're better musicians i love ace and i love peter but these two guys are better the band sounds better it's stronger that's just my opinion i'm nobody but i've been a kiss fan since alive right yeah so yeah from the beginning basically i mean i i i respect it i mean it's your opinion and that's cool i guess for me i i don't know i guess i just it just it's kind of awkward for me seeing other uh, musicians in characters that they didn't create, um, but I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock the musicianship. I mean, Eric Singer's, you know, I mean the the guy he's you know he he made his own bones. You know, he was in Lita Ford, he was in Black Sabbath, he was with Gary Moore, he was with Badlands. Yeah. You know, he's with Alice Cooper. He's no he's no, he's yeah. no joke. You know, Actually, and, has he been in Kiss? Has he been the longest drummer in Kiss? Honestly, at this at this point, yeah, yeah, yeah. longer yeah. than Eric Carr, yeah, yeah. I met them all on the Revenge tour. That was the first time I met Eric Singer when they came to Tempe to play uh, for the Revenge album, and uh, couldn't have been a nicer guy, you know. And and I have huge amount of respect for him just because of all the people you mentioned he's played with, and so you know, again, let's say. You have a band, and I'm your singer, and I found the band with you, right? And we're doing good. And all of a sudden, I decide drinking and getting wasted is more important to me. But you love the band that you worked hard in, and you put your own blood, sweat, and tears in. And I now have power, because I can look at you and go, if I quit, your band's over. You have to stop, because I'm the original guy, and you can't keep going. Well, that's not fair. You know, to say that to people. I am much more of a Van Halen, David Lee Roth fan. However, they made more money with Sammy Hagar. They had more hits and they made more money. I prefer David Lee Roth, but I respect the Hagar era because Eddie and Alex, should they have just quit because David quit? Should they put the band's name Van Halen? Should they put that away because David decided he was going to be a rock star on his own. So now their families are screwed and they have to start over like Dimebag and Vinny mm-hmm. did when, when Phil quit and they started Damage Plan and they went from playing huge arenas to tiny bars again. See, it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing, man, because I've had a lot of members in St. Madness. I've been able to keep the band going for 11 albums because I did not let anybody take that control away from me mm. you know when our founding uh, guitar player van pearson quit i remember right away fans running up to me and going oh my god what are you going to do your band's over i said no i'm going to replace him well you can't replace him i said i'm going to replace him two weeks later we were on stage <laughs> opening for sacred reich with mm-hmm. a new guitar player and steve was in the audience bummed out that he quit <laughs> you know yeah. Steve, Steve is vampirism and so we named him vampirism like a vampire 
Right. And he was in the audience and got to watch Dr. Frankenshred play all his shit. And he did it within a 10-day period because we said we got an opening spot with Sacred Reich. Mm. So there's a lot of people there. And he was in the audience, and we we replaced him that fast, and it it hurt him. You yeah, know? yeah, it hurt really. me in the audience and see him there. But for a year, he was threatening to quit mm. every time he didn't like something. Kind of like what what Peter Chris did with Kiss, right? Every time he didn't like something, oh, I'm out of here. <laughs> well, you can't give somebody like that control because you'll never get anywhere. Right. Yeah. Where Where has Peter Chris gotten since he left? Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty much. He lives in New Jersey. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I like Peter. And I met Peter. I shook his head. Kind of cool. But you can't let those guys be in charge. They're not the right guys to run the show. Yeah. They're running right in the ground. Very similar to what happened to Rat Sal Review since I've started. Yes. <laughs> oh, Rat Sal Review, that's your baby, right? Pretty so much. If you start it with two co-hosts and you go, okay, we're the three musketeers and two of the musketeers don't want to do it or they'd rather go get wasted or whatever. They got mad at something you said they didn't like. So that means it's over. Rat salad review. Now you have to change the name. You have to start over. What if the next time you start over, there's an asshole on that one? Okay, you got to break. You start over a third time. You know what I did? Marge and I decided that we're going to keep St. Madness going. Till we decide to bring it down. And that's what we you know. Amen. And I got to work with so many different great musicians because of that. Mm. You know, that's another thing they don't think of is I got to work with all kinds of great guitar players and stuff and write songs with these people. Mm. It made me a better songwriter. Um, Aerosmith, right? Steven Tyler is my third cousin. And I didn't even know oh, this until... Really? probably 10 years ago. All my family on my dad's side is Boston. Mm. And my grandmother on my dad's side, her name was Valentino. Stephen uh, Tyler's real name is Stephen Tallarico. And back in the day, the Valentinos and the Tallaricos intermarried a few times. And so when my family did the family tree search and all the the, uh, DNA and all that crap, They found that Steven Tyler is my third cousin. Now, I've seen him in concert four times, and I've never met the man to be able to tell him, hey, we're related. Mm-hmm. But we have a mutual third cousin named Tommy Tallarico. If you look up Tommy Tallarico, he's written more music for video games than anybody on the planet. Tommy is actually pretty much as wealthy as Steven is. And they're tight. Like, they hang out a lot because of Tallarico is. But uh, when when Tommy Tallarico comes here in town, uh, he gives my family VIP everything, and and it's really cool. I'd love to meet Steven someday because I've been a fan of Aerosmith since I was a kid, but I never knew we were related. All right. Yeah, I love Aerosmith. Lou, were you saying something? I see you put your uh, thing off. Um, no, just you know, I'm 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 in I'm entrenched in the conversation. Yeah. Oh, so, actually, uh, I was telling this to Lou the other day. Um, tell him your Black Sabbath story, because Lou's a big Black Sabbath fan. Yeah, this right. I got to hear. They're, they're my favorite band of all time. We had uh, a little bar here that is now called the Rebel Lounge, but back in the day, it was very famous. It was called the Mason Jar. It was uh, basically Arizona's Whiskey A Go-Go. 
And uh, we used to play, for two years, we played every shit show that we could get. And then once we put on face paint, we're headlining weekends everywhere. It was really that quick. So one day, Franco, the owner of the Mason Jar, calls me. He says, dude, I know you're a little Italian guy. and I know you're a weekend band, but my Monday night band canceled on me. Is there any way St. Madness would just do this show as a favor? I said, yeah, sure, Franco. We'll, we'll be happy to do it. You know, With Italians, if you do them a favor, they do you a favor. So we do him a Monday night. He gives us a good national opener or something. You know what I mean? So we were happy to do it. And as a band, we decided, you know, it's only a Monday night. There's not going to be many people there. We'll put on the smallest amount of face paint we can put on and we'll do our show. So we did it. And there was like 30 people in the whole club. After I'm done, I go sit on a chair and I'm smoking a cigar. You could smoke in the bars back then. This was January, either 97 or 98. But I, 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 don't know, I don't know the exact year. Anyway, I'm covered in blood. And Margie comes running over to me. She's like, you got to come with me right now. Franco's talking to this man and he's interested in you and he wants to talk to you. I'm like, what? There's 30 people here. I get up, I start walking to the bar, and Franco cuts me off, and he says, dude, you listen to me. This man is real, and this man who wants to meet you, he wants to do something good for you. So I'm like, okay. So I go up, and I shake the guy's hand, and he goes, hi, I'm John Baxter. I manage Rob Halford. And right away, because Rob Halford has a house here. He's, he's here all the time in Arizona. He and, lives uh, in Phoenix. And, uh, yeah, and I live in Scottsdale, which is next to Phoenix. And uh, so I'm like, holy moly, this guy manages Rob. And he goes, you know, you got a hell of a band there. And I said, wow, thank you. He goes, the problem is I'm not looking for a band. And I thought, well, what are you looking for? And he goes, I'm looking for a vocalist. And again, I'm, I'm thinking, you got Rob Olford. What do you need? I said, for what? He said, for Black Sabbath. And the second he said that, I could feel all the blood rush out of my legs. <laughs> and I thought it was going to fall down, really. I got like a little tipsy. And I said, could you say that again? And he goes, for Black Sabbath. He said, few people realize, but Rob had joined Black Sabbath, and he's been there for a while. And him and Tony, they were going to do an album and a world tour, and him and Tony had a falling out. Rob quit. Sabbath has been uh, auditioning guys for six months, and Tony hates all of them. Do you think you could sing Black Sabbath music? Because I've watched your show. You resemble Ozzy a little bit, and I can hear that you've got a register similar. And I said, of course, Black Sabbath is one of my favorite bands in the world. Right then, he gets on a phone, and he called Rob, who he said was in L.A. at the time. And I'm listening to him say, Rob, I think I found the guy for the Sabbath game. And again, my legs have no, like I'm wobbling. Because the whole thing was like, this isn't real. It's a dream. This doesn't happen to guys like me, you know. Mm -hmm. And he hangs up the phone and he gives me a card. And it was Monday night. And he said, call me on Friday. And I'll let you know where I'm at. It's setting you up an audition. I guess they were auditioning in LA or whatever. And I, about four days, I didn't sleep much. And didn't eat much. And um, when I called him on the Friday, he goes, Pat, you're not going to believe what happened. And I said, what? He goes, Ozzy literally just decided in like the past couple of days to rejoin Sabbath and they're going to do a world tour. And that was the first time Ozzy came back 
since he had left in 78. Mm-hmm. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody knew that he was going to, because he was having a very successful solo career. He didn't need it, but I'm glad he did it. So half of me is jumping up and down like, yeah, Ozzy's back in seven. And the other part of me is going, missed it by that much. Because uh-huh. <laughs> I would have got the gig, but even to play one song with those guys would have been such a huge honor, you know? I don't care whether I would have made it or not. Just to be able to play a song with Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler. I mean, oh my God, you know. Hey, and, Wayne, uh, I have an idea. We'll do a Sabbath cover, Ozzy era. Have him sing it. Of course. Sure. That's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Actually, if you go on YouTube right now and you type in St. Madness, I don't know, it'll mm-hmm. come up and I'm singing I don't know. And... It's pretty close to Ozzy, I would say. All right, cool. But but things happen as they should. You know, the fans, of course, want to see Ozzy. So the fans got to have what they wanted. And I'm a fan, so I got to have what I wanted, too. It was just the timing of it was so razor thin, you know. But, But I still think about what a huge honor it was for me to have Rob Alford's manager approach me. That that was wow, you know, really? Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. What do you think of the Tony Martin era, Black Sabbath? Well, he did four albums. I think Tony Martin is a great vocalist. One of the most boring guys on stage I've ever watched. He has (laughs) no personality. You're following a guy like Ozzy and Dio with this guy, who sings great, Mm -hmm. but he, he doesn't really, every video I've seen of him, I haven't seen him live with them, to be fair, but every video I've seen, he's just kind of boring. He just right. kind of walks around and just sings. And, and you know, if that's all you want, that's fine. But you're following Ozzy, a madman, and the Dio. Dio was a very dramatic guy when he sang. Right. So that's where I fall short with Tony Martin. But as far as vocal-wise, He's one of the best. Great vocalist. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We actually got to do that at some point, uh, Lou. That era of Black Sabbath. Well, Greg, uh, you know, bottoms out next week. We'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll have to get that set up. I have a album with Ian Gillen. That's one of my favorite uh, Sabbath albums. I love Born Again, yeah. That's I, Greg's favorite, too. We'll have to have you on a show when we do that one, because Greg loves that one, too. Yeah. I found two albums online this is in the 90s right i have them they're cds of whole shows that they played in like stockholm sweden and somewhere in in chicago they're the whole concert with ian gillen and then they end each concert with smoke on the water (laughs) yeah i I heard that smoke on the water isn't that cool (laughs) so i cherish those cds because i can't find them anywhere but they have like there was only 500 of each breast. I don't know if it's true or not, but Marge and I have tried to find other copies and we're not able to. I'm sure Greg has it. Greg has everything. Greg's Greg's got a very good collection over there, with, especially with that era Black Sabbath stuff. He he has all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you need something, if you need something, he's the guy. <laughs> I have the live concert of Metallica in the bars. Cliff Burton's first gig with Metallica, mm. with Dave Mustaine still in the band, and I have the the whole uh, concert. It was a bar, 
And Dave Mustaine and David Elfson used to go to AA meetings here in town. And that's where I met them. And I was sitting with, uh, one time I showed up late to a meeting and there was probably 300 people in the room. And of course, when you're late and you open the door, everybody turns around and looks at you like, look at the late asshole, you know. So I'm standing there and I'm like, oh my God, where am I going to sit? And Dave Mustaine looks up and he goes, Pat, come sit by me. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm going to sit with Dave. So I sat with Dave and, and I told him about this CD. And he goes, I didn't know such a thing existed. I said, well, somebody must have had a DAT player or something in the audience because they recorded the whole show and I have it. Mm. And I told him I would turn him a copy. And uh, I didn't see him after that, you know, but I said, I'm not going to give you my original because I paid 35 bucks for it. But <laughs> I, I will burn it for you. So you have, you know, the whole show. And he won. So I, he said he didn't even know it was out there. Uh, yeah, a lot of people probably don't. No record things all the time you know yeah all right well back to your um your your, your oh my god i'm stumbling on my words here back to your solo album uh it's a great album and uh everybody can get it on Bandcamp. uh what's going on with saint mandis what's new album being on the works or what we have two brand new songs written and uh i'm kicking around the idea of retiring uh from heavy metal in uh 2023 because that'll be well, that'll be 30 years that St. Patrick's has been around. And I don't want to be out there when I'm staying too long and people say, wow, you know, you should have quit like five years ago. I want to do a good job for the fans and the people who care about St. Madness. And I can do a good job, but I want to walk away while I can still do a good job. I don't want to wait too long and just kind of trickle off, you know, and I'm not for sure going to retire at them, but we've been talking about it. And it really seems like a, a good idea, you know, to me. Um, we want to make at least one more album. And uh, we have a song in the, already written called My Music Manifesto. And uh, it's my way of saying goodbye to the fans. Mm. Like, are you going to continue with doing other music after the heavy metal stuff? Then? Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, I would continue doing the prop and the cowboy stuff probably or or something else like that right. but you know um what i was telling you at the beginning of the show today i spent five hours in the hospital getting iv treatments when right. when i was born i was born with the boy in the plastic bubble disease which is an autoimmune right. deficiency mm. and Years ago, I would never talk about this in press because I didn't want anybody to judge me by my blood disease. Hmm. But I was born with it. It's in my family. So when I was a kid, I was constantly sick. They found it when I was eight years old. And believe it or not, they told my mom and my stepdad, the doctors, we're sorry, but children born with this don't survive. And you'll be lucky if he's a teenager. And here I am now. I'm 58 years old. I, my parents are dead. I outlived everybody because they have these IV treatments that every other Tuesday I go in and it boosts my immune system and makes it so I can still be here, right? Mm. So I'm 58 now. And as I get older, mind you, you know, big rock stars can have a doctor go on the road with them or a nurse. They have oxygen tanks. They have vitamin B12 shots. They they have all this stuff that I don't have. All I've been able to do is just get up there and give it my best. And that's all I've ever done. You know, there's been times 
I, I went on stage after a week of chemotherapy because I had cancer in 2005. And my doctor swore to me, I will never do that show because you'll be too sick. And I said, I have to do the show because it's a show on the reservation. And it's the first time that my native friends have invited my band to play on the reservation. I'm not missing it. Uh So I did seven songs and I was sick, as you might imagine. And but I still did it. You know, I've gotten up there with pneumonia, all kinds of illnesses, whatever. Uh The show must go on. So as I get older, it's just getting more difficult for me. It's not that I don't love it as much as I always have. I do. But that, you know, being older and then my blood disease and stuff, sometimes it wears me down. All right. Well, at least you're going to continue. That's that's the good thing. And music in some some form. I have music. If I could do metal music for 100 years, I would. You know, I don't want to let anybody down, though. I don't want to be getting up there when they're feeling sorry for me, kind of like how I feel for Ozzy right now when I watch, you know, oh, God. I watch his last tour, you know, a lot of the videos, and I love Ozzy, okay, but I just felt bad. Right. I don't want to yeah. feel bad watching me like that. Yeah, yeah it's tough. And, I just saw a video the other day. He was, somebody had him listening to rap music or something, and and uh, he's sitting on the couch, and he's got gray hair. He don't have his hair dyed or anything, and he just, he looks disheveled, and, and you know, he's old, so... Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. You know? The guy's 70 years old, 71. Yeah. I mean, hell, man, he's had a great life. But see, the difference between a guy like him and a guy like me, he has a shot to make lots of money if he mm-hmm. does the final tour. And, and, of course, you want the money. If I keep going, I'm not going to make tons of money. Right. I'm just going to bore people after a while. You know, yeah. I'm not going to have big paydays and all that. <clears throat> and I'm not saying only to do it for money, but out of respect for the fans. Again, I don't I don't want him looking up at me going, Yeah, remember when he was good? And I I I'd rather walk away with my head held up. Yeah. yeah. Prophet, I meant to ask you, um, I'm sure Arizona, where you're from, is probably where your biggest following is, but uh what other uh cities or states does uh Save Madness have their following? Like I'm sure once the um pandemic subsides you'll go back to playing gigs and stuff but yeah. uh, but i guess that's a two-part question though like so where is your where where are your biggest followings and how have you been holding up with the pandemic you know i started thinking like this probably in the 90s uh there are radio stations all over the world that play our music literally and i work I work as the label's uh, press secretary or whatever you would say. Um, I contact all these stations. I go looking for them every day, magazine stations. So I figured, you know what? If if St. Madness can't go on a world tour, our music will. So I just send it everywhere. We get write-ups all over the place, like good write-ups, you know. All over Brazil. We have tons of fans in Brazil. But I don't have a booking agent or a, pro- a promoter down there who's going to pay us to fly us to go there. And now touring has become so expensive. I don't know. It's not that I don't want to tour, but if, if they want me to kill myself at 58 years old, get in a van and go tour and have venue owners say, oh, I'm sorry. I know I agreed to 1500 but, you know, I've only got five. And if I, I don't know, you know, in, in order for, We'll do stuff like little spot touring, like going to a town for a weekend. 
play a couple shows, go back home, you know, go to another town later. Instead of killing herself on the road with a U-Haul trailer and all that. If I was 21, I would do that. But at this age, I'm not going to do that. So we have fans everywhere. We just don't uh, don't tour. We we haven't toured. God, when's the last time? Shit, last time we played uh, California even was like 2014 or something like that. 13, 14. It's been a while. We played predominantly in Arizona, all over Arizona. But again, our music's played all over Europe, you know, many, many radio stations. And you'll see by a lot of my posts, because I try to thank people when they send me and they say, hey, we're going to play your song next Wednesday or whatever. I try to promote the radio stations and shows like Wayne's and stuff so that bands will go, hey, I'm going to send my stuff there too. I'm just trying to build it for everybody, you know, because we're all in it together. So I have fans everywhere, and I hear from them, but I don't have the money to get to them. That's just the facts. Yeah. Well, hopefully, maybe with your new new solo album, maybe you will one day. Is there any place that you really do want to play? Like, uh, if you could get there with the band, with St. Madness or with your solo stuff? I would like to play in Holland, uh, anywhere because i lived in holland as a boy and my stepdad was dutch and uh, i just love holland I, every time i go there i feel at home i would love to play anywhere in brazil because we have so many fans down there right now um tony montiero is a a writer for roadie crew magazine which is still an imprint magazine in brazil and it's their biggest one he's doing a review of the prophet and the cowboy album right now and and he's reviewed our albums since 1998. The lowest review we ever got on an album from any magazine in Brazil was 8 out of 10. And they gave the God Bless America album 8 out of 10. And they didn't know who we were at the time. We just blindly sent it to them. But we mostly get 8.5 to 9.5s. And they really uh, enjoy our music. And... and I have several radio stations down there, different magazines, online zines, whatever, and they're all fans of the band. But because I'm not on a label, I'm on my own label, I don't have them, you know, setting me up for that tour and, and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. I was on Andreas's uh, radio show, Andreas. Oh, really? is Ventura, From Subaltura, right? yeah. Yep. Yeah, and he interviewed me like you are now, live. And and uh, he listened to the Blood Lescapades record, and he goes, you know, we're friends with Sacred Reich, and Sacred Reich's going to come play with several tour, and maybe we'll try to find a way to bring St. Madness along as well. Oh. Well, it, it didn't happen, because the Sacred Reich stuff is, is set up. I saw a poster for it. Hmm. We never heard from him again, but <laughs> he said he really enjoyed the record, and he liked what we did, and, you know, I got a picture of him with it, and, <laughs> hey, you know, it's all good, you know. That is awesome. But, uh, you know, things happen as they should. You know, right. if if I'm meant to do something, I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. If I'm not meant to do it, I'm not going to do it. But I'll still have a great life anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, if anybody wants to go check out the Prophet and the Cowboys of Apocalypse, there is the album cover. It's on my phone there. I'll put a nice picture on the thing there. That's, that's awesome. What yeah that's what it looks like awesome album cover awesome album i really enjoy it a lot and uh, i think everybody will too and where can they go again what, what's the uh, band camp is it uh what is you it you know if you just type in uh band camp 
St. Madness. That's ST period madness. It'll bring up the St. Madness page and then just scroll to the bottom and there's a little link there to Prophet and the Cowboys of Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Just click that link and you'll go right to both our albums. Now, St. Madness stuff is available on iTunes, Reverb Nation, uh, Spotify. It's on all those. And eventually the Prophet and the Cowboys stuff will be as well. We just released it first on Bandcamp. Now, check this out, right? This is kind of a, a bummer when you think about it. Bandcamp charges $40 a month to host your stuff. Oh, really? And then when we sell an album for $12, mm-hmm. they take four of it. They take a third. <laughs> really? Right? Yeah. It's not enough that they charge 40 a month. Then they take a third of what we make on a digital copy of an album. Wow. That's some bullshit. And then plus, now they got that thing on Fridays where they give, I guess, discounts to people that buy stuff. Yeah. See, that's how they sell it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's Friday. We're not going to rape you on Friday. You can sell your music and actually make the money from it. Mm-hmm. Because now, if we weren't paying them $40 a month already, mm-hmm. I could see if they wanted a piece of the album sale. Okay. But we're already paying $40 a month. Mm-hmm. Now they want $4 per album sold. That's crazy. I gotta find something better. Mm. That's crazy. I didn't know that because I was gonna go there too. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to second think that now. But everybody's yes, on there. So. I didn't know that either till March pointed it out to me like <laughs> yesterday. I oh, didn't Jesus even Christ. know. You know what? I'll just PayPal him fifteen bucks for the copy that you sent me. Way. There you go. That's right? the best thing that. That is the best thing to do. Right. And eventually, I will have CDs made. And I know most people don't listen to CDs, but. CDs for me are like a calling card now. It shows the person what kind of product we make. And it's a professional product with nice artwork and everything. And because I'm old, when when I grew up, the most important thing a musician wanted was to have their own record. And when everything's digital, what happens if the internet ever goes down? I mean, I I still save all my CDs and everything. And I can see behind you that you do as well. (laughs) I love my CDs. I love them. I'll never yeah. get rid of them. And Luda started buying CDs again too, because he got rid of his and re- bought them. And... Yeah, right? um, I'm definitely building better. my, I'm yeah. definitely building my, uh, my inventory up, and I'm happy about it. But you know, if a baby girl needs new shoes, she gets new shoes before I buy new new stuff. <laughs> and then we were talking and, too. Know, yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say, people have got back into buying vinyl. You know, yeah. because it sounds nothing sounds like a vinyl record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was kind of against that, but then I found out, yeah, it's true. But uh, like mm-hmm. we were talking a couple of weeks ago with the streaming thing, like you, you know, you'll see an album on there one time, and then next time you go to back to listen to it, it'll be gone. You know, right? For some reason, I, I have no idea why, but they don't always stay on there. So well, streaming is a pain in the ass, but it's the it's the thing to do now. But we're getting used to spending money and getting nothing physical back for it. Right. You know, and back in the day, remember when like uh, and and maybe you don't, but like when Priest came out with Screaming for Vengeance or, you know, if you pick any of your favorite bands when you were growing up and you knew they had a new album coming out, how how excited you were to get that album. You couldn't wait to read the liner notes and take it apart and look at it, look at the artwork. And that was something really special to people like us, you know, Mm. now these kids. Like, like, what would a band like Pink Floyd do now? Because they make concept albums, right? Oh, Kids yeah. don't 
concept albums. They hear one or two songs they like. They download the one or two songs. Could mm-hmm. care less about the rest of the record. That's sad. I, I make concept albums, you know, and the Last Days in Paradise is a bit of a concept album, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I, I don't know how to be any other way. No. But now it's just about singles. It's not about albums. Right. Yeah. And uh, hopefully that changes at some point, but I don't see that in any future, (laughs) soon future anyway. But uh, again, thank you very much for coming on. You don't have to leave right yet, but uh, let's end this show. But uh, again, thank you for coming back on the show. Had a lot of fun. Same here. It was a pleasure meeting you. I had such a good time the last time. I've watched that probably three times, the last show I did with you. (laughs) Just because it was fun. I, I really, really enjoyed it. So when you asked to have me on again, I, I couldn't wait, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, all thanks to Matt Schaffer, your old uh, roadie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's a great guy. Matthew is a wonderful person. He went to school with my son, Joshua. They were very good friends. He worked with our band, and he's just a wonderful guy. And, and what a funny guy, too. Great oh, sense yeah. of humor, hard worker, smart kid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's doing very good for himself, too, from what I see. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, again, please everybody go check out Saint Madness and uh, Prophet's album, The Prophet and the Cowboys of Apocalypse, and please go buy it. And uh, yeah, help out the band. And we will see you guys. Oh, like, what, can people go to your, your Facebook if they want to add you? Uh, yeah, your Facebook. What is it? Yeah, I don't, I don't have the, I don't know the link in my head right now. But if oh. you just type, in, if you type in Saint Madness, like S T Madness. It's the only one out there, so it'll okay. come up. All right. And there's a Prophet St. Madness page. So if you just yeah. type in Prophet St. Madness, it'll come right up. All right. Very cool. So everybody go follow him. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Rats oh, wait, wait, wait. What? What? You didn't, you didn't ask me where they could find me. No, nobody cares. Everybody no, you know why? What? Hold on. You know why? Why? Because you can find me at a pub with a pint of Guinness in Arizona the next time St. Madness is a show. Cheers. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, too, Lou, you do have a, your new episode just came out, so tell us a little bit about that, and then we can get out of here. Oh, well, I was just kidding. I just wanted no, to I... put St. Madness <laughs> over. Um, no, well, actually, I just produ- uh, I, I just released uh, the first two parts of a three-part interview with uh, George Fullen, who produced my wife's record, uh, from 2004 till about 2007, it was a labor of love, but over time, because, you know, we didn't have the budget to just record everything in a week or two. So it took three years. But uh, George is a great friend and a great producer engineer. He's worked with bands as varied, artists and bands as varied as Cindy Lauper, Dream Theater, Alicia Keys. Um, I can keep going. Uh, the man has had so many artist that he's worked with under his belt so the whole three-part interview of which parts one and two are available on my youtube page music is live podcast and on rat style review um it's just about his life and career and i'm looking for i'm right now in the middle of editing the final part of it and looking to release it hopefully in the next week or two and george was a great person to interview really enjoyed the three hours i got to spend with him but i realized it was a three-hour interview, so I had to break it up into three one-hour parts. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. But, yeah, everybody, please go subscribe to your uh, Lou's YouTube page, uh, Music is Life podcast, right? I think it is. That's right. And please sure. like and subscribe and comment on the Rats Eye Review YouTube page. That's right. Please do all that. 
subscribe to everybody's pages, and we will see you next week. Salute.